Thanks for tuning in to the Glenridge Church message. Our mission is to love God, love people, and live to change the world. If we can help you in any way at all, feel free to reach out to us on hello at glenridge.org.za. Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, For those of you who know me and have heard me preach before, you know that whenever I preach, I always feel nervous. And um, so this morning having to do it, um, it's, it's a safer space to do it within the four walls of, of Glenridge and our, our hall. So to do it this morning um, live uh, for the whole world to see um, is hugely intimidating. And so um, pray for me, pray that the Holy Spirit takes over, that he guides my words. Um, but I am excited. I am excited to be um, speaking this morning. Um, God has been speaking to me a huge amount over this um, last little while. And um, this morning I want to speak specifically into um, one verse from Acts. We have been working through the book of Acts and um, I am going to be speaking from Acts, continuing that, but with one verse and one verse only. Um, I really, really wish that you were all here. I um, was reading through my notes earlier in the week and uh, toyed with the idea of downloading one of those canned laughter apps, you know, the ones they use um, in soap operas, but it it was not authentic. It was not the same as the Glenridge family voices and particularly not Seaway, who I dearly, dearly miss. In fact, we should have invited Seaway, shouldn't we, this morning. I'm gonna dive straight in. And I'm going to read from the NIV just for now. So it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Um, I'm going to pause for a second. I said I was going to jump straight in. I'm not. I believe that there is a greater calling on us as believers in this next season and in moving forwards. Um, I believe that this is a period of time where people are looking for answers and there is so much uncertainty and so much unknown, which causes so much anxiety and so much stress and that people are looking for answers. Um, I'm reading this book at the moment. It's a historical fiction and it's about the plague in England in 13th century and specifically talking about the impact of the plague on a particular town um, in the south of England. And it's been it has been so interesting reading this book and wondering how I would have read it if it had been earlier in the year or last year. So reading as there's this one particular lady who is saying, no, 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 we need to wear masks. So she is saying it's spreading from people to person to person. We must wear masks. We must protect ourselves. And then other people go, no, 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 you don't wear masks. That's a heathen practice. Um, And them saying, no, we must close the markets. We must close um, all of the sort of town council meetings and others saying, no, it's got nothing to do with that. And reading this um, and knowing that if I'd have read it six months ago, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought anything about reading those things. And yet here I am now reading this and I'm like, wow, this is close. This is actually like really close and real because all of that resonates with me. It makes so much sense to me. And um, one of the things that came out at this time 
was that they saw a massive increase in people moving into the um, priory. So we saw a big increase in novice monks and novice nuns. And um, the reason for that, the author says, his wording is, let me just find it because it's right at the back of my notes, um, that people are looking for order in a world that has gone mad. People are looking for order in a world that has gone mad. And because of that, they were moving towards the monastery, towards the priory, and trying to find order and meaning within the church. And so I really do believe that there is a call for us as believers to be answering that need for order at this time, where everything that people had built their lives on has been pulled apart. Um, it is up to us to be able to point them to the true foundation, the solid foundation that is Jesus. So back to Act 6, because this does tie in, believe it or not. Um, what has happened in this verse, just to give you some context, because it's important. Um, there are amongst the believers two um, different communities of Jews. There are the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews are also known or were also known as Greek Jews. They spoke Greek and they were born or lived in Greek speaking cities outside of Jerusalem. And that's important. The Hebraic Jews were Aramaic speaking and were mostly born within Jerusalem or Judea. And it's important for us as modern day outsiders looking in to be able to understand that context. So the Hellenistic Jews, often commentators would say that they were from cities that were more sophisticated than that of Jerusalem. And that when they moved into Jerusalem, they often migrated towards each other. So they would come together and they would set up in neighborhoods all in one space, um, which is not uncommon to um, what immigrants often do when they move into a foreign country. I wish that you were here so that I could ask you to raise your hand if you are a South African who ever lived in England, to keep your hand raised if you lived in London, and keep your hand raised if you lived in Wimbledon, Southfields, Earlsfield, or Kempton Park. Um, because I suspect that we would have a lot of hands still raised because that is what we do. We migrate towards the known. We migrate towards familiar. We migrate towards things that are like us because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel at home. It is also thought that the Hellenistic Jews, the neighborhoods that they migrated into were often more affluent neighborhoods. So they were wealthier. Okay, so that's the context of these two groups that we're looking at. Now let's look at the wording of this one, uh, one verse. So it says, um, in issued a complaint, which is actually a really formal wording and actually is not necessarily accurate to what was going on. Our understanding is that if you look more closely at the Greek, what actually was happening was that there is a murmuring so a murmuring or a grumbling, a kind of talking about people behind each other's backs. And that same word is linked to the same, um, the same actions that were happening when the Israelites were in the desert after leaving Exodus. So they, the message translation says, 
During this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feeling developed among the Greek-speaking believers um, and towards the Hebrew-speaking believers. So we can see that there is a tension that is building here between these two people groups. What I want us to look at for a second is that particular wording. Notice here that it says the church was growing or it says uh, the church was growing in leaps and bounds. So it was increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds. What we know, and you'll have picked this up from Stan's preaches in previous weeks, is that the believers are united at this time. They are united practically through their sharing of resources as, as we've read in Acts 4. And they are also united spiritually in their mission to preach the gospel at every opportunity. And their efforts are working because people are being saved. People are being brought into the kingdom and the kingdom is advancing. So what happens when the kingdom of heaven is advancing and is taking ground here on earth? The enemy counterattacks. And how does he do this here? By dividing and conquering. We know that phrase, divide, therefore conquer. Notice how he uses practical things in the natural. So a difference in language, a difference in, in, in geographic location, a difference in living practices and in wealth to cause division and therefore block things in the supernatural. Psalm 133 says that when there is unity between brothers and sisters, the Lord gives his blessing. So what does the enemy do here? He highlights and then he magnifies the differences between the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews in order to shift their focus from outward preaching of the gospel to inward uh, management and squabbling. It's an enemy ploy of division that worked then, and it's working now. I don't know if you have felt this as well, but I have been so aware of this, almost this polarization that has been happening at the moment. Um, I was joking with a friend on the beachfront a few weeks ago, could say it was you, um, and we were saying that lockdown um, has, has kind of taken most of us in one direction or the other in terms of our eating habits and our weight. So either we are going to be like crawling our way out of lockdown, emaciated and thin because we're so stressed and have lost so much weight, or we're going to be rolling ourselves out of our homes at the end of lockdown because we've gained so much weight. And we were saying it seems like there's no, there's no middle ground and the truth is, is that that is what happens when there is anxiety and stress and fear and uncertainty. It means that we crave finding certainty and knownness in the areas that we can and, the, uh, and in the areas that we can control. And as I walked back to my car after seeing Kudzai, um, it got me thinking about actually how many other areas there are that this pulling apart is happening. So masks, for example, either we completely, completely agree with masks. We've seen however many videos on social media of doctors and researchers saying, yes, the masks work, look at this experiment, or right over here, we have the opposite, which is another group of doctors saying, no, they don't work actually, um, and this is why. And so then we're kind of trying to figure out where we fit in this isolation. So we have the stay at home at all costs, do not leave your house ever, 
kind of thinking. And then at the opposite extreme, we have the no, life must go on, business as usual, let's just go, I can go and do whatever I want to do. And again, where is this kind of middle ground and this common sense and this ability to critically think? We have government, they've done absolutely the best that they could with what they had available to them, or they've been absolutely useless, we cannot trust them, get rid. School, parents are either the absolute worst for sending their children to school, or, and, they're the absolute worst because they didn't send their children to school. Church, I've heard people complaining about churches. Either their church is doing way too much online stuff, just it's just, just too much and overwhelming, or their church hasn't been doing it far like enough for them. And then COVID-19 itself, either it is the most lethal and deadly thing ever, or it's a total hoax. There's no middle ground, it's one or the other. Now I wanna be really clear I am not championing, condoning, or sitting in any of those camps. And that's because I have different perspectives and different views and different values on that. Predominantly, it's because I actually don't know the answers and I'm kind of okay with that. But also, it is really specifically because sitting in one or the other of those camps creates an us and them mentality. It creates a division between people actually who are more similar than they are different. And the reality is, is that in this time, all of us are just trying to find some certainty. We're just trying to find some normal. And some of us are doing that more successfully than others, but we're all just trying to do our best with with the information we have available to us and with the way that we're able to. This division, this pulling apart, is the very divide that Jesus came to bridge. So inadvertently because of sin, the Trinity was the us. It was this beautiful unity. And then because of sin, we became the them because we were separated from God. And so God sent Jesus to pull us back together so that we can be united, so that we can become us as one. The Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews had fallen into the us and them thinking. And I bet it happened more slowly and subtly than we think. Every single difference in opinion, every misinterpretation of a phrase or a word, every time when they did it in that order, but they did it in that order, I bet all of these small, subtle little things just chipped away at the unity between them, causing a slightly bigger rift and a little bit more distrust as it went along. This division isn't always obvious, but I bet if you pay attention to what you say in the week ahead, or just rewind and look back on the week you've had, I I would bet if I was a gambling woman, which I'm not, um, that you will find that language has crept in. I have found that language crept in. At times in this period where I have actually been afraid, I have I've found myself trying to find some certainty in categorizing an us and a them, a good and a bad, a law abiding and not law abiding, a safe and unsafe. But the reality is, is that actually that doesn't help me find certainty. It actually just pushes me further and further apart from the very people who are also feeling exactly the same as I am. There are ever increasing opportunities 
for us to disagree and for, uh, for us to divide. And I believe that in this, in this time of social media where anybody can say anything that they want any time of the day, and actually more often than not, there's no consequences, we are gonna see an increase of people sharing their opinion as fact on the internet or on our WhatsApps that get circulated. We're gonna see it more and more and more. And there is gonna be the very real potential danger that if we are not wise, we're gonna jump in on that bandwagon and we are also gonna be a cause of division. Proverbs 18.21 says that in the tongue is life and death. And we need to learn to speak with wisdom because we are representing Jesus. We do not want to be like the Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews in that moment, whose focus got switched from looking outwards and preaching the gospel to people who needed Jesus, but instead, <laughs> squabbling and squirming and backbiting amongst themselves. And I wanna be clear, I fully endorse um, what the apostles did at that time. They took practical action, which enabled them to implement practical um, outworkings to be able to feed and distribute to all people. So that's not what this is about. That was good that they did that, but wouldn't it have been beautiful if they didn't have to do that? Wouldn't it have been beautiful if these two parties could have come together in love, in unity and resolved it amongst themselves instead of needing to go and tell on, as my oldest son is always saying, oh, he told on, is it, that's telling on. Anyway, so I want to share something really practical um, and I hope insightful that is gonna help each of us to have some tools to help us as we navigate this, this, this um, world at the moment that is encouraging us to pull further and further apart and to set up camps in opposition lines. Um, I have three points that I'm gonna talk about in one because they overlap and they blend. So these are the three things that I want to say to you. Assume it is not about right or wrong, it's about connection and there is always a story behind the scenes. So assume nothing. It is not about right or wrong. It's about connection and there's always a story behind the scenes. Okay, there is something that we talk about in the counselling world called fundamental attribution error. Basically what this is, is where we attribute a motive and a meaning to someone else's behaviour. So we decide why they have done what they have done. Um, my husband and I are very familiar with this because it's something that we've had to work through a lot because each of us is so busy assuming that the other person did this or didn't do this because instead of actually going to the person and finding out. So I'll give you an example. You um, perhaps are at the shops, you are walking along and you see someone that you know and you look up to greet them, but they keep on walking past you. In that moment, you assume that they blanked you because they don't actually like you, or you assume that they blanked you because they think they're too good for you, um, or you, you assume that they're just kind of rude and they should get over themselves. I would like to say that you, um, you may just assume that they didn't see you, but what we know is that our brains have what is known as a negativity bias, and this is important to know. We have a negativity bias in our brain. So realistically, 
you are more likely to find the negative assumption far more quickly and far more easily than you are going to find the positive assumption there. So in truth, the person perhaps has left their credit card in the shop that they've just been to and they're dashing back to try and see if it's still there. Or maybe they've just had a phone call from their child's school saying that they're unwell and they're dashing to their car to go and fetch it. There are a million moments like this every single day where we are continually coming into um, uh, interactions with people and we have split second choices that we get to make about why they're doing what they're doing. And unfortunately, sometimes we make ourselves the judge and the jury about what another person is doing, why, and more often than not, the verdict that we come to is not a kind one. In the case of the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, Six, there's a story behind each of the involved party circumstances. And in order for us to prevent false assumptions, we need to understand it. So, as I mentioned earlier, the Hellenistic Jews moved back to Jerusalem for a number of reasons. But the most common one was that of retirement. So picture a scene where hundreds of elderly women have moved to a new city. They are widows, so there's no husband that's come with them. And the custom at that time was that they would re retire and move back to the land um, of Jerusalem to die with their people. These women do not speak the local language. They've moved into an area of the city where they're probably a little bit more out of the way and out of the town. Um, and as they're elderly, it makes sense that maybe even some of them were housebound. These women would not easily have come across the information or had access to um, the information with regards to the giving out of provision and gifts and charity. And they did not have a GC info or uh, Autobot in the form of Heather Phipps to be able to provide them with those updates. And then picture this scene. You have 12 apostles who are leading and overseeing a rapidly growing church movement. 12 inexperienced, learning on the go, making it up as they go along guys, leading a group of believers in their thousands. We know in Acts 2.41, it says 3,000 were added to them in one day. Not even Dawn Castleman's administrative and relational talents could keep up with that kind of growth. So when it comes to the unequal distribution of provision, who is right and who is wrong? Probably both and probably neither. And if that is the question that comes first to our mind, I want to suggest that maybe we're going about this in the wrong way. Yeah. It is not about right or wrong. It is about connection. Yeah. The circumstances at that time were such that it made it very difficult for the apostles to oversee everything that needed to be overseen. And it made it so that it was very easy for the widows to be overlooked. The root cause of this problem was not necessarily in the logistics, but it was in the lack of a heart connection. Yeah. Danny Silk in his Kylo series talks about putting the connection above the problem. And what this means is that we maintain a heart connection, an open and loving relationship with the person because they are more important than me being right or wrong. What this should have looked like was the Hellenistic Jews going directly to the Hebraic Jews in person, in private, and saying, listen, we're seeing this happening and we're worried about this. How can we work together to rectify this? How can we make this better? But instead, 
They made assumptions and they spoke about each other. If they were to assume anything, they should have assumed the best about each yeah. other. And so too should we. In recent months, I have read posts on social media where people have slammed parents who have sent their children back to school. They've accused them of being selfish and lazy and not willing to school and take care for their own children. And I've also seen posts slamming parents who have kept their children at home, saying that they are doing their children a disservice and that they are selfish and fearful. And at the heart of it, it's absolutely devastating because in these comments that come, no one has bothered to ask the why. No one has bothered to try and understand the motive or the context or the story of where that person is at. They have no idea of their financial situation. They have no idea of their employment situation. They have no idea of the emotional and mental well-being of the parents and their children. And yet they have charged in making accusations. And I would love to say that it's just non-Christians, but sadly it's not. I have seen believers wading into these discussions as well. And I want to say, I don't blame you. There's been many times where I have read posts and I have had an emotive response as well. But sometimes, and I've even felt a little offended, but I want to say firstly, offence is not given. It's t- In those situations, we first need to take a look at ourselves and ask, why is this, why is this sticking with me? Why is this uncomfortable? Perhaps that offence is actually conviction taking place and highlighting an area of your life or your behavior that you want or you need to be changing. And secondly, when did throwing insults and anger back at Ibsen ever actually change their mind? I'm reminded of the Pharisee's treatment of the woman caught in adultery and more importantly, of Jesus's response to her. He lowered himself down towards the ground Mm -hmm. to be at eye level with her. He got face to face with her. He connected with her and he showed grace and kindness to her. There was no denying that she was guilty of what she was being accused of. But Jesus knew that there was more to her and her circumstances than just what her accuser said. And he was not looking for right or wrong. He was looking for connection with her. Can we say the same? In these difficult times where people are making decisions that we don't agree with, are we assuming the best about them? There is so much anxiety and fear everywhere at the moment. We need to be gentle with each other. I have a friend in the UK who um, is quite anti-church, quite anti-Christian. And when you speak to her about it, she would say it's because she sees Christians wading in very clearly with their opinions and their law about what you should and shouldn't be doing. But she doesn't see them wading in enough to actually roll their sleeves up and get involved and be helpful and be kind and be caring and to be loving. That they're very quick to make a judgment about a lifestyle choice or a decision that they have made but they're not very quick to get alongside them and say, what happened here? How can I help you? How can I support you? How can I love you in this situation? We 
in this situation, in this current time, and I really do believe moving forward, this is going to come at us more and more, where there are opinions, perspectives, lifestyle choices that we are facing, that we know are not kingdom values, but we are going to have to learn how to be able to represent the gospel well and be able to do it in a way that draws people towards Jesus instead of pushing them away. Sometimes we can be so busy correcting and complaining about people and their behaviors that are, um, are not okay and not acceptable, but we're not asking ourselves whether our own actions and behavior are leading them towards heaven. And so this morning, I want to close by reading Romans 13.10 that says, Do no harm to your neighbor. Love fulfills the law. Friends, at this time, we need more than ever to be loving the people around us. We need to be patient. We need to be kind. We need to be slow to anger, slow to judge, slow to criticize. And we need to be quick to rush in and help people and get alongside them and ask the questions to understand why they're doing what they're doing instead of condemning them and just saying that's wrong and this is right. Jesus He spoke to the woman at the well and he convicted her of her sin. He didn't pretend it didn't exist. He called it to her, like straight up to her face. He knew of her adultery, but he didn't do it to condemn her. He did it to set her free so that he could introduce her to him, the living water. And that is the call on us at this time. So I think we are probably... This is the thing with going live. You're kind of playing it by ear. I think we are probably going to go into a little bit of time of worship now, or are we not? Yeah, Brandon's going to come up. Brandon's going to come up. And what I really want to ask you, sorry, Brandon. <laughs> what I want to ask you is we just sing now. I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you now. It is so easy for us to hear about this and go, yeah, yeah, no, no, but I don't do that. I have thought that about myself. No, 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 but I don't do that. I don't criticize and I don't complain. I do, I do, and I do it far too often. So I wanna encourage you now, take a moment as we sing, just to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight areas of your thinking, areas of your heart that he wants to soften and that he wants to work in and work through so that we can unite people to Jesus. We can overcome division by uniting people in love to Jesus. Mm-hmm.